say you're introduced to a young starter who really wants to get into commercial real estate. What type of advice would you give that person? Um, eat peanut butter and jelly for the next two years. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I'm grateful to have Dave Ellis of Ellis Realty Advisors. He's a commercial real estate broker. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. You and I are going to talk about, you know, what is going on in the commercial real estate market post, you know, not even post pandemic, but. Right in the thick of it. Yeah. See, so you, do you, what are you seeing with that, the Delta variant piece of it? So, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, couple months ago, you know, we're sitting here in May and June and, and um, like, all right, we're, we're getting some momentum. You know, you get some of these larger companies, you get your Amazons and your Apples and Facebooks. Everyone's got like this target date to get back in the office. And in business, I, I feel like small, medium-sized business owners follow suit. They look at that and they say, all right, these guys are really leading the charge. They've done, you know, they've reviewed the data. These are smart people. They have more resources than we do, so they'll follow suit with some of their um, their office policies. So um, you start to hear that, and, and you see some more requirements, you know, office space requirements specifically um, coming up, and, and um, gives you some 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 glimmers of hope for the office market because it was pretty stagnant for the last call it year year and a half, and um, you um, you start to see the you know. Um, those data points start to, to come up and you're like, all right, things are going well. And then you know, it was like middle of July and you start hearing about Delta variant and, you know, you're hoping that it's just the admiration or some other data that's not really, you know, statistical errors, but it's real. And um, now you're seeing some of those larger companies say, okay, we're going to push and delay. And that leads the rest of the market to follow suit with those delays. So, um, you know, you've got a lot of positive momentum and then it comes to an abrupt halt in, uh, in some sectors of the commercial real estate market. Um, and that's the same with, with retail. You see some um, you know, restaurants and hospitality, which, you know, you feel the worst for those people over the last 18 months. Um, you know, they dealt an awful hand and um, you start to see some of those on, you know, restaurant entrepreneurs, hospitality entrepreneurs come to the table and say, hey, we really want to throw our hat back in the ring and we see this as an opportunity. And, you know, a couple months go by and, and this happens and we see the same, uh, the same thing. Hey, uh, I think we're going to table that and wait to see how this whole Delta variant, you know, shakes out. And, um, so that's sort of the stuff that we've been seeing and hearing um, on those two fronts, you know, call it the office and the, the retail front. But, you know, you look at industrial as like the bright spot. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the pricing and the demand has gone up and the supply has really stayed the same. Or even in, in a lot of cases, if you look in Boston and um, you, you've seen the supply come off the table because a lot of that industrial space and industrial product has been redeveloped into mixed use into multifamily and um, 
you know, and, and, there, and there's a lot of towns and municipalities and cities that don't want industrial in their backyard. It's, uh, so the zoning is stacked against industrial. So new supply has got um, some headwinds um, in terms of supply. Meanwhile, the demand has never been greater for it. And why, why, why is that? So I, I think it's, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, you look at, you know, where, where do you shop online? You know, you're, you're not, you're not going to the store. You, you might not even be going to target anymore. You're, you, you know, you're, you're getting your stuff on Amazon mm. and, uh, are you going right to, um, uh, the source and, and you're getting your goods from there. And, and, um, you know, that requires warehouse and, um, so even the Amazons, like the, the Amazon itself has sent shockwaves throughout our market, which is south of Boston, in terms of building these, uh, these fulfillment centers. Because uh, they can pay whatever it takes to, to get land, entitle it, build it. Um, you know, the small entrepreneur, small business owner, they can't compete. They can't compete. They can't, they can't throw their hat in the ring when Amazon's paying a, a 10, 10x multiple of what they could afford or more. Um, so it's, it sent, it sent some ripples to the, the industrial market, some, you know, the land sales and, um, but anyway, back to your question. I mean, I think, you know, that's one of the reasons I think you see, um, construction, residential construction. Um, a lot of the trades people are doing really well. You see suppliers looking at, the, uh, the crunch in materials and they're buying in bulk and they're trying to, they're trying to load up because the worst thing that they could tell a customer is, Hey, we don't have that. And um, so they're trying to aggregate as much inventory as they can um, so that, and also create some economies of scale. Um, so they're looking to the, the industrial warehouse market as a way to, to do that. And they're willing to pay, you know, whatever it takes to, to, to be able to achieve that. So there's, um, so there's some interesting things going on and it's, it's constantly changing and shifting. Um, you, you don't see that same um, environment in the office, in the retail sector. Is, is Amazon an actual buyer or are they an identifier who has developers buy the property and lease back to them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's almost like both. But, but yeah, they, they have preferred developers that they work with. And, um, but the economics are such that if they need to be in a certain market, they'll, they'll create whatever economics the deal entails to, to, to be there. And you've seen that. Um, they, they recently built a, a fulfillment center in uh, Plymouth, Kingston. And they've been in talks for, for one in Hingham. Um, and they've made some inquiries and, and um, tried to try to get into like the Braintree Quincy market as well. Um, so it's, uh, they're, they're looking this last mile is, uh, when you hear that, that term, um, you know, last mile uh, fulfillment centers is, is important. And um, that's, that's where the majority of the demand's coming from. And is that last mile typically within an interstate highway or crossroads of interstates? Is that what they're going for? Exactly. They need to be right off, right off the expressway. Um, so, um, and the problem you have, you know, at least in our neck of the woods is you really only have a couple, you've got, you know, route three, you've got route 44, you've, uh, you've got, um, uh, 24 and then you're, you don't have enough land in those areas to go develop. You don't have enough critical mass. 
So you'll see a lot of these larger centers along 495 in more rural communities with their, their main hubs. Then you get the smaller fulfillment centers like in, uh, in some of these uh, you know, smaller areas like Kingston, Plymouth, even though that's probably the, if it's not the largest building, it's pretty close to it, right, right at the Plymouth-Kingston line, but it's small for one of these fulfillment centers. That's really fascinating what one company can actually do to an, another entire industry. Speaking of that, what one thing can do to an industry, what has COVID done to office? I think the jury's still out. I think um, it's still moving. I think there's companies that are still out there and still trying to figure out, you know, how they use office space. Um, I definitely think, you know, for the same reasons we're talking, um, you know, through an internet connection right now, there's, there's this ability that you don't have to be in the same place at the same time. Um, so I think it, it opens up some opportunities for, for office users and office tenants. Um, my feeling personally, and my opinion on it is that, you know, building any business, you, you still need to have some kind of culture and it's really hard to build a culture without being in the same place or being able to walk down the hall and ask a question or say, Hey, Mark, you know, how's your, how's your family and have that, um, have that interaction. And I think that's an, an important thing for some people. Um, but there's also, um, data to support that people love not going to the office and working from home too. So I think you've got this convergence of opinions and, and, um, cultures in, in the, uh, in the business world. And, um, I think until this, um, until COVID becomes the thing that we're not talking about all the time, I think it, the, the jury will be out for a while. And I think there's going to be different um ways and um you know types of development that that, that office people are going to use i mean um to, to backfill space i mean i think the, the trend over the last five to ten years has been you know co-work and you get the we works and work bars of the world and these types of groups and um you still see that being a successful model in, in a lot of cases right and i think um if you're going to a sort of like a hybrid work model where you're you know you're working part-time um, it's nice to have a decentralized, you know, you know, quote unquote, hub and spoke operation where you've got sort of like a central place for people to go and meet and converge, but also have uh, places that are closer to home. So they're not doing the commute five days a week, you know, traveling to Boston. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, so, but, but what do all those large, um, you know, landlords of, of office space do with, with, with some of this space? I don't think we've really seen um uh the the uh the ripple effect fully uh with the office market in downtown boston because there's a lot of lease term that these tenants are still paying on where they're trying to sublease their space once those terms expire what are those tenants going to do are they going to stay in there and are they going to renew with their landlord or is that space going to go dark and i think until that happens until you see like that full cycle um we really won't know. And we could be in a different time, at, you know, in a year or two. Um, right. so, but down on the South Shore, what we've seen has been very, it's been flat. I don't want to say it's been bad. I don't want to say it's been good. Um, so that's, that's my answer. What 
was the relationship between landlord, lender, tenant throughout COVID? Was there an evolution to it? I think it's, um, you know, everyone, you know, each, each group wants to think they've got some leverage at the negotiating table. And I think everyone wants to uh, present as having leverage, but none of them really had leverage because it's such a novel situation. And um, what we saw, at least on the commercial side of things, is that, um, you know, banks were willing to work with the landlord. Uh, landlords were willing to work with the tenant. Uh, tenants, you know, see what's going on. I still, 18 months later, we still see COVID as being used as, in a, as, as a leverage point in negotiation by tenants. Um, which, you know, I think there's a lot of validity to it, but at the same time, you see it being used uh, by tenants as leverage. Um, throughout the process, it's, it, it was probably as well as I could, we could have seen it go. I think it could have got, um, it could have got uglier um, if there weren't, you know, eviction moratoriums and, and some of these things in place. Now, long-term, that doesn't work, right? I mean, you, you need to um, landlords have to be able to get their space back if they have a tenant that's that's not paying paying their rent. I mean that's just a that's a fact of business. It just it can't happen forever. So um, so we'll see how that shakes out long term. But throughout the process, I mean that's it's been very amicable in my opinion from what I've seen. So going forward, again, let's pull out that crystal ball. I'm not going to ask you what the office would retrofit a certain percentage if they don't come back or go dark, but what do you see as an asset class that makes sense going forward? For an investor? Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, you can look at it from, you can look at them from two, from two different sides. Do you want to, you know, you know, buy when the market's hot? And so you could say, you could point to industrial and say, okay, buy the growth stock that's going up. And that, that is, that's it. You know, industrial is on its way up, but you could also say, you know, uh, you know, to use, some, you know, uh, equities, you know, terminology and trading ling lingo by the dip, right? So you could say, okay, office sector, you know, the cap rates aren't, you know, where they were. The, the rate of return um, for office space has gone up and uh, in order to buy it. So you could, um, you could point to office as being one of those sectors. In my opinion, I think the office market will, will come back um, you know, hopefully stronger. Um, you see a lot of companies putting um, uh, dollars into, you know, life sciences, um, you know, GMP space, which is good manufacturing practice type of space, uh, which requires infrastructure. It requires, you know, uh, proximity to, uh, to infrastructure, uh, transportation, schools, that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, I think that, I think that mixed use is also another area where I see, um, as being a good asset class to invest in. And I think, especially where we are, Mark, in this, in this markets, you know, call it Boston to the Cape. Um, you're, I think you're starting to see some of these town centers kind of get developed and, um, with, with, uh, hopefully some new infrastructure going into some of these towns and municipalities. I, I, I see that as being in, in zoning is an important uh, factor there too. Um, I like mixed use. I think it's a good, it's a good asset class to invest in because you, you're always going to have people and 
we have a housing crisis in this area. So explain what mixed use is for the listeners. Sure. So mixed use is really, you know, uh, uh, you know, retail or office on a first floor with, you know, residential above. That's typically what you consider mixed use. Um, and you'll see that in town centers. And um, the nice thing about it is you, you, you've got, uh, you know, you've got an area to live where you're, you're also providing amenities and supporting, um, you know, the tenants that are, that are above. And then they're generally in a, a lot of town center or an area where the, you know, it's walkable to transportation, um, or walkable to, to areas of, you know, uh, uh, cultural resources, let's call it. So whether it's parks or schools or um, different areas of art and culture, I think that that's important restaurants. Uh, so that's, that's really what mixed use is. And you're seeing a lot of investment from, uh, from developers that, that acknowledge that it's a good way to, to develop property. Um, I think the towns still have to kind of come around and, um, and figure out what's the best mix. Where do these developments go? And, and um, every town's different, as you know, uh, especially in the South Shore. It's just every, every town's got its, its uh, uh, good, goods and bads, if you will. What's a typical hang up for a town as to why they might not want mixed use? I mean, I think you start talking mixed use, you're, you're typically looking at um, an apartment, um, a rental, um, a multifamily product versus, you know, condominium. That's not to say it couldn't be condominium, but you see, especially now, mainly apartments. And um, I think there's still a stigma in, uh, with apartments and there's, um, <clears throat> you're adding additional units. So I think from a town's perspective, you're looking at your school system, um, you're looking at you know, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, uh, the, the other thing, the other things that go with apartment development um, that get a bad stigma. And um, so I think towns have, a, have a, uh, an issue with that. But, um, and I think there's a, there's a, there's always this possibility uh, within the town or, um, and, and maybe it's, maybe it's real, maybe it's not that, hey, we're overbuilding uh, apartment product and we're adding all these residences and we need more services and, and you're not um, providing a, a, as much commercial tax base. Um, and, and that's why, it, you know, that's one of the, the reasons why I think mixed use works because you're adding that commercial component on the bottom, um, which is important. You've seen this in towns like Weymouth where, um, you know, they, they've tried to create zoning where you know, you can build up, you can build denser buildings and more units, as long as you have some component of uh, commercial development um, with it. And they actually recently um, uh, have turned the spigot off, if you will, on that type of development in these areas. So they're, they've sort of put like a moratorium on those types of developments under, uh, under their zoning bylaws. Because, so, there was, uh, because there was so many of them going? There was so much going on. So, you know, the zoning worked and it almost worked too well. And I think there was some political backlash that they got from, from the town where they didn't, you know, the, some of the people in town did not, you know, want to see that many units and they're not seeing the benefit. Um, I still think, and, and I think there's data to support that there's still a housing crisis where we're undersupplied by thousands and thousands of units of housing. Um, so I think it's important that we develop this housing if you do it in a smart, um, pragmatic way. Um, 
but uh, that's one of the, those are some of the reasons you're always gonna, you're always gonna see uh, pushback with development when you start talking about adding uh, density in, in, in certain areas and height. And, uh, you're changing the way that the town looked from when it was back in the 18 and 1900s or the, you know, right. There's always that mentality, right? Right, right. And, and it is, it is progressive, uh, mixed use. It looks different. It feels different. It acts different, but it's, it certainly checks a lot of boxes. Um, help me understand what you, Dave Ellis do with your company. Good question. Um, so I, you know, we started the company in 2018. I, you know, I always, you know, viewed myself as an entrepreneur. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I love ideas. I love, you know, doing things differently and trying to make them better. Um, and commercial real estate is just one of those, um, you know, industries that's always, you know, you think commercial real estate, you think of stodgy white business owner and, and, uh, it's very old old school. You're shaking people's hands. It's it's relationship driven, which we're not trying to change that. I'm not trying to change the way um, the, the business is because it, it is that. But I think you know, adding technology, adding a real sense of community, a real sense of purpose to it. I think um, I love the teamwork approach. I love bringing everyone on the on in on the team and not feeling like we're fighting against each other uh, to to make a dollar on a commission. It's not the way I want to. Our company to be viewed. Um, we want to be helpful. We want we want to help businesses and, and help our clients. Um, and even if it's a small little thing that we have to do, and it, and it, and it takes up a lot of our time, if that helps a client that we're going to be working with, you know, in five and ten years, you know, we, we're going to do it. And um, it's just at that long it's at that long term mindset versus the short term mindset. And um, that's the way I want us you know, to be viewed and. Um, and, and so far so good. I think we're, we're really, uh, doing a good job of that. We've got some really good people on our, on our team and, um, you know, you're always trying to build up, you know, better mousetrap if you will, but it's, you know, um, it, it's just the way you conduct yourself and the way you conduct your business and, and, uh, you treat your, uh, your clients and your competitors. And, um, that's, that's what we're trying to accomplish and really a sense of community. I think, you know, you have to look at, um, why did, why did I start this business to begin with? And it's, it's that sense of community. It's, I want to do something better. Uh, uh, I want my community that I, I grew up in that helped support me, that helped, you know, grow me, you know, myself professionally, um, to, to be better, uh, as a result of the stuff that we're, that we're, we're doing on a daily basis. So tell me, how did you, how did you make your way into commercial real estate you, you don't just wake up one day and say i'm a commercial real estate broker how, how did you do it sure so i started my family's construction business so um you know my dad started his his business in our garage in marshfield um back when you know i was a kid and um you know he's building you know custom cabinets out of our garage and i'd be waking up at six in the morning with a table saw going off and um, so, and, and he started building some homes, some single family homes and started to kind of witness the development and, and the life cycle of, of, uh, of real estate and how it starts as raw land. And then all of a sudden you're digging out a foundation and then you're laying down the, you know, the, uh, uh, the framing and the flooring. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're standing in this beautiful house. And, and um, I just like that process. And I see, I like to see things 
go from one step to the other. And um, there's a certain tangible nature to real estate that you don't get in, in other industries. So um, it was always something I was really attracted to. And as I became, you know, more um, informed and educated on, uh, on the world, you start to see real estate uh, change and um, the world evolve around you uh, in your community. And you're like, wow, that used to be this. Now it's that. And that was always really intriguing to me, how you could see, you know, this one thing change. And then that one change would lead to a whole community being built around it. Um, so I just loved that, you know, you'd start with uh, the small catalytic, you know, moment, and then it would change into this huge development. And I just loved that, that nature of it. And it's hard work. And, um, there's just always, uh, you know, I can, I think, you know, that was my initial, uh, buy-in on commercial real estate as, uh, as something that I really wanted to do. And then once you start doing some of that and getting in the middle of it and start doing transactions and meeting these businesses and you're walking through and seeing widgets being made in factories and you're like wow this is really cool and uh, you get to see something new every day which is um isn't something that you can say about a lot of industries so were you ever a residential real estate agent no. Or you... <laughs> no. i did some residential you know we built some homes and with my dad and um you know, we, uh, well, we do know because we, we built the building you're in and, uh, you know, we uh, got into commercial development um, right at the wrong time back in 2008. And, um, you know, this is a story that I tell a lot of people, you know, I got my, my butt handed to me in uh, my first foray into commercial real estate as a developer, um, you know, and I think there's a lot, of, I, I can't blame myself myself for that but i think the timing of it was that you know um there's an education in in, uh, in real estate and that anything can happen at any moment and um we we never saw the uh the uh, the great recession coming and um it it totally blindsided us we had a lot of stuff out there and exposed and it was a looking back at it, it was probably the best lesson that ever happened was losing in commercial development at a young age because uh, it really built who I am um, as a as a business professional and as a as a real estate person, being able to to see the bad times. Because a lot of a lot of people don't see the bad times until they're later later on in, in their career and uh, they get bit by it. Well, I heard somebody say one time with respect to money and investing, it's not a win or lose; it's a win or learn. Mm -hmm. You either win or you learn. And it sounds like you learned. So then you went in and assisted with transactions for people. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it was, a, it was an interesting time because you know, the development that we really got hurt on was, was one that we were sold as, hey, if you guys develop this, you, know, you can get this and this will be the return that you see on it. Um, so we were fed a lot. We were fed a lot from a broker. And um, so... When I, you know, went and developed the, the property and then that didn't happen, I said, well, what was all that information we were given at the beginning? And so there was definitely some mistrust um, from, from my side um, in terms of the brokerage community and what should I believe am I being sold? So um, when I started in brokerage, you know, I basically said, you know, 
I'm not going to do that to somebody else. And you, you can't, I think, uh, integrity is like the part is at the top of our value system at Ellis Realty Advisors. And, um, you have to shoot people straight. It's, this is, this is what it is. And I'm not going to feed you a line of BS about your property value or how much you're going to get in rent. If you're not going to get it, um, it's just not how we operate. So, uh, we try to lead with that and, um, and, and that's, that's that lesson. That's that learn, right. Is what you said. And, um, so it's, um, yeah, I could go on, I could go on forever about that, that piece of it, but. So who is your ideal client? It's a good question. Uh, you know, I look at our ideal client is, um, you know, growing business, uh, or a business owner that's trying to educate themselves, um, an entrepreneur, um, that, that sees, uh, um, sees some sort of gap in the market or um, looking, to, looking to grow. You know, I like working with businesses. I always, I always say, like, I like being on the consulting side. I don't like to look at myself as a, you know, they call it real estate salesperson. I don't like to be called a salesperson. I think it's really a consultant and working with somebody and um, someone that's open to listening uh, to opinions and really um, taking us onto their team onto their decision-making and strategic uh, team. Because I think um, we're not just a, a, a one-stop, you know, one and done. Hey, you found a space, great, Dave. We'll never talk to you again. I think it's something where we always want to be talking to our clients and we always want to be on their, on their team. We, I love getting calls from people like just for a question. Hey, are we doing the right thing here? We're bringing on these people. What's the market like? What's the value of our property? What should, would be fo- what should we be focusing on? Who should we be talking to? Um, you know, I, I, I love that. I like being, you know, part of that discussion and dialogue. Um, and so any idea, an ideal client is really someone that's really willing to, to bring us on their team and listen. And, um, but it, it really could be anyone, so. So after that client has successfully completed a transaction, they've consummated the closing or signed the lease mm-hmm. and they're getting ready to put a testimonial together for Ellis Realty Advisors. What's that testimonial look like? That's a, that's a deep question. Um, you know, I think, um, I think the big thing is they're, they're, they're going to gonna hopefully say, you know, these guys were great to work with because they were very responsive. Um, they were right on top of it. They put us in touch with the right people. Um, you know, they were always, uh, you know, reachable. There's someone from the team was always reachable. We were never waiting uh, for them. Um, they gave us great market intelligence as to where we should be. Um, you know, I can't always say that you're going to get a great deal in that moment because you, you don't know what a great deal is until, you know, it could be years down the road. Um, so um, it's hard. It's hard for someone to say that right out of the gate. But I think, you know, honesty, integrity, responsiveness, being creative, um, you know, uh, making sure that they're our fiduciary, they're looking out for our best interest the whole way. And, and, and they never question that for a minute. I think those are like the biggest things I could say about, um, you know, any, any testimonial that we might, we might get from a client. So in that same vein, I know a lot of the business that you receive is through referrals, through so-called mm-hmm. word of mouth. If somebody's mm-hmm. 
walking around on the street and they say, I'm looking for help with my commercial real estate. What do you want that quote soldier to say about you and Ellis? You know, I want them to say, Hey, these, these are your guys. These are, this is a group that's going to stay with you. They're going to get back to you. Um, they're, they're going to take you through the process. They're going to sit down. They're going to listen. They're not going to talk. They're going to learn about your business. They're not just going to send you over a whole list of stuff that makes no sense. Um, they want to understand more about your business. And, and um, you know, they're a group that, you know, is, is uh, holds integrity with the highest regard. Um, and they know the market cold. I think that's the, the biggest thing is, is what we, is what, that's what we sell. And I tell our agents that all the time, what do we sell? We, we sell market knowledge. We, we know the market, we know what's happening. Um, not just at like the local and regional levels, but you know, what's happening, what transacted. Um, and, and that's huge when you're going and making this huge decision about, um, your business. Um, these are, you know, real estate is, if not your top line item, it's your top line item in your, in your expenses. And, and um, you know, any, any variation from that one way or the other is, uh, is huge impact to your bottom line and into your, not just to your business, but to your family. So it's a big, it's a big decision for, for most people. So you want someone that's looking after you that knows the market and, um, and that's, well, that's what we do. And I think we do it at a really high level. Say you're introduced to a young starter who really wants to get into commercial real estate. What type of advice would you give that person? Um, eat peanut butter and jelly for the next two years. Really? Maybe, maybe mix in some ramen noodles. No. Um, you know, I, I, I talk to new, new agents and, and we, we're, we're actually actively recruiting right now. And we're, um, so we're having a lot of these conversations and, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's it, a successful, you know, entrepreneurial commercial real estate person. Um, you know, you have to work hard. You're, you're going to be served a lot of humble pie. It's very, it's a difficult business to break into. Um, there's definitely some, some wins, but, but there's losses or, or, you know, learns, as you said before, I think there's a lot of learns before you get to those wins. And, um, it takes a certain personality to, 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 to get there. So I'm always very, you know, straightforward when I start talking to people about the commercial real estate industry and, and that career path, um, because it's hard and it takes a long time. And I think, um, you know, but you have to be committed. I think the biggest thing is you need to be someone that's committed. Um, so we, we always look for, um, for people that have uh, some sort of you know, competitive background, obviously, that you know are able to to lose but pick themselves back up and get back on the horse and and um, and keep going and keep moving their feet that's a really important attribute to anyone going into the business um but i also tell people you have to you can't be the one that's talking you have to be listening and um you, you have to actively listen to you know your clients your peers you know your mentors you know on how to do things and you will become better at um, at, the, at the business and you'll learn a lot and um, but you have to be committed and you have to be um, willing to uh, to learn and you have to be willing to fail um, 
And I think those are the maybe the three biggest things I tell anybody um, getting into uh, getting into the business. Now let's take a rising star in your space, but they're looking to make a move and they want to know why Ellis Realty Advisors would be the place for them. I think you know for for us especially right now, I think we're we're growing business and um, we um, we started property management um, company last year. Um, last August in the midst of this pandemic, because we, we saw it as a real opportunity. Um, so we're, we're growing that piece of the business, you know, kind of alongside of our brokerage business. And um, so, so we're, we're growing rapidly. And I think it's an exciting time that, you know, to be at, at Ellis Realty Advisors. And I think um, because we've got so many things going on and we're getting some, uh, some momentum, so it's new, new company. We've got a lot of good ideas. We're using technology um, in really interesting ways. We get some great marketing minds that are that are working um, on our team. And I think you know, I think the big thing is we we are a team, and we love teamwork. We love collaboration. I think you get in, you get into a lot of these other brokerages. It's very it's very competitive, which is good. I think in a lot of in a lot of sense, but but there's a lot of turnover. And um, we're we're always um, looking at hey how can I help how can I help my teammate you know how can I help this person with their project or what advice can I give them um, or who can I point them to to get that advice um, so we're not afraid to investing in in um, in our people in our platform we're continuously um, investing in our platform and ways that we can get um, you know. Uh, our client's value, which is, you know, um, which is, you know, presence, internet marketing presence, um, our CRM, our back office support uh, team, um, and just the, you know, the, the, the training that we have. And I think we've, um, we've done really well with that. And we're continuously trying to, um, to better that, that programming um, so that, our agents can kind of come on and the learning, cur- learning curve is a lot smaller and they can be more successful quicker. So that's awesome. That's good. That's good to know. Um, one of the things we're going to try to do, Dave, um, when all of this has subsided is have a, a networking party of folks that were guests on, on this show. And one of the things I think we're going to be presenting is karaoke. Yes. What, what are you going to sing? It's a good question. Um, that's, I wasn't expecting this one. I love it. Um, so I'm, I'm a big '90s alt rock guy. So I probably I'd probably dip into that. Um, but I could also you know tone it down with some Boys to Men or maybe some uh, you know maybe some Backstreet Boys. I'm a big boy band guy too. As, as weird as that sounds, the '90s <laughs> rock in the in the boy bands. Um. But yeah, you can, you can probably see some of my work in Instagram because my wife loves to post the karaoke uh, on Instagram. So, so you're you're already a fan. I'm in. I'm 100 percent in. I so love it. We actually at our uh, at our company party a few weeks ago, we uh, we got a karaoke machine dropped off. Nice. And uh, you know, kept the neighbors up for a little bit. It's a great icebreaker for sure. So so I'm not going to let you go without saying which song you would sing um oh my gosh so many 
Maybe it's so funny it. because most people are like, I don't know. You know, so, so many people are like, I don't do karaoke. I'm not gonna, but then we don't let them go. You on the other hand, have a catalog to pick from. I have a catalog. So my daughter's been really been into Sean Mendez lately. Okay. And um, so I'd probably go, I'd probably go with one of those Sean Mendez songs and like really try to bring the house down. I love it. Bring the house down because that's what it is. It's all about support. That's what why karaoke is so fun with the team is supporting and getting you going. I love, I love it. That's my favorite. Most important question of them all, Dave, how would someone get in touch with you? Um, they can call me, you know, um, you know, anytime I, I always, you know, 99.9% of the time will pick up my phone. And um, I had someone call me on a referral today. And, and um, you know, just to talk about the commercial real estate business, because they just got their license. And I called them right back. And so, uh, you know, best way to call me, you can get my office number 781-919-0800 is our office line and they can just dial my extension. I love it. I love I it. like to talk to people, Mark. I, I email is great, but I think uh, talking is the talking on the phone is the is the best method. You're an old soul. Old school. Yeah, I love it. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S E C U R I T I T L E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.